Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being with us. If you will, everybody take a Bible and open to Matthew, the 22nd chapter, and tonight we'll look at all of the passages about Jesus Christ. Just kidding. Uh, we will look at a few passages about Jesus Christ as we uh, will conclude this uh, Sunday evening series of looking at various ones that were either on or surrounded the cross. And tonight we'll think about Jesus Christ and then conclude with an invitation asking the question, Is He our Lord and Savior? Uh, we had a wonderful trip uh, to El Salvador and we appreciate everything that everybody has done through the years to make this possible just as was prayed a few moments ago. Uh, there is a tremendous opportunity that God gives us uh, in that work, in the stateside, and, and so many other opportunities as a congregation. And, and let's never forget that uh, the, the pleasure that we have in serving is because God blesses us with that opportunity. And uh, we appreciate everybody that's a part of it and, and all the, the ways to make it uh, a success to the glory of God each year. Also, while... Phil and I were away. Andrew filled a lot of shoes, and, and we appreciate him doing that and, and working a lot of extra uh, to cover all the bases. And also, I want to mention, uh, in the Wednesday night men's class, Doug Williams taught that class, and I hear he's doing so well, the class would like to replace the teacher in it. Uh, but he really did a great job, and uh, we're proud of Doug and appreciate the service that, that uh, he and Charlotte render uh, in this congregation. There'll be much more said uh, in the days to come about the uh, trip to El Salvador, and we look forward uh, to that particular uh, Sunday night. The Pharisees were gathered again in an effort to dus discuss things with Jesus to make him look ridiculous. And so in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, Jesus turns the table on them in such a powerful way. After this point, they never tried that again. As we read in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning in verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathering together, Jesus asked them, now that's turning the tables as he had a question for them, saying, this is one of the most important questions in all of the Bible. What do you think about the Christ? Now friends, tonight as we begin this lesson, we're going to look at uh, some very uh, practical, almost chronological things about the life of Jesus. But will you take each one of the things that we think about and ask that question to not to the Pharisees, Jesus asking it, but in our minds, let's say Jesus is asking us, what do we think of the Christ? Because that changes everything. That changes my heart. It changes the way I live and it changes my destination for eternity based upon how I answer that question. And so Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And so they answered, he's the son of David. But then he trapped them with his question as he said, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord saying, and he quotes Psalms 110 in verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And then he concludes with this question. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And they left there not to try to entrap him again. But who is this Christ? Is he the Lord of my life? Or is he one that simply walked upon this earth and gave some great lessons and 
perhaps was even a prophet. Who is this Lord? Turn to John the first chapter. In John the first chapter, I don't think it was that long ago that we even did what we're about to do again. But for a lesson like tonight, I, I just can't pass up on the opportunity because in a very short amount of time with this first point, I want us to think about the Christ being God and man, the incarnation of God on this earth. And as we're thinking about that, I want to read to you a quote by C.S. Lewis as he discussed what individuals would say in a response to who is the Christ. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. And here's what they say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he would be devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, and you can fall, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That quote reveals or either reminds us of an interesting fact. A great moral teacher, if he was not the Son of God, would not have taught claiming he was. Either he is the Son of God or he's not. But we can't place him in some kind of middle ground that says, well, I like him and, and I like some of his teachings. No. Either we count him a lunatic or we count him the Lord. And not just verbally, but by the very life that we live. And so what is it in my life today? How is it that I treat my Lord? Do I respect Him and dedicate my life to Him as if He is the Lord? John 1, verse 1, you can take the three phrases out of verse 1 and we can learn about Jesus as deity. We can take the three phrases out of the 14th verse and learn about Jesus coming to this earth incarnation. And so when we do that, and by the way, I know as you glance at verse 14, it looks like than three phrases there. Uh, some translations, I believe, actually have a, f a few phrases in parentheses. Others would be in commas. And so we're going to count where he says in the middle of verse 14, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. We're not counting that right now as one of the phrases, in other words, that describes his humanity, although it does. But for the purpose of what we're about to do in this study, I want you to notice phrase 1 of verse 1 showing the deity, phrase 1 of verse 14 showing what Jesus was on this earth. Phrase 1 of verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Now the Word here, capital W, it's Logos, is talking about Jesus. And so we say, In the beginning, Jesus was created. No. In the beginning was the Word. And so John chooses to introduce this Jesus Christ to us in his gospel by saying, I want to begin with a phrase that identifies that he wasn't just a man, that he is deity. How are you going to do that? I'm going to prove that when the first thing that was ever created was ever created, Jesus was already there. That makes him eternal. He's deity. He's God. 
But now let's think about Jesus as He manifested Himself on this earth. In what fashion did He do that? Well, let's go and read the first phrase of verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Now you and I know this very well. But nevertheless, we're studying about Christ tonight. And one of the things that we need to understand as a very important part of the foundation is that Christ came in flesh. He experienced hunger. He experienced tears. He experienced fear. He experienced rejoicing. He experienced grief. And the temptations that we have before us, Jesus went through all of those things because He was human. Yet on the other side, He was also deity. He allowed individuals to worship Him. He called Himself one with the Father. He performed works and made statements that no man could ever match. Only deity could render. Perhaps one of the most significant things that He did that immediately identified Him as deity is that He forgave sins. And no man can offer that kind of grace. Let's go to the second phrase of each one of these. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Phrase 2. And the Word was with God. Where was God? The Son. Before He came to the earth. He was with God. In other words, He had a heavenly realm in which He lived. He didn't have to go through the trials and the heartaches of this earth. He had a place of perfection, if you will. And so we would think, why would anyone leave that? Well, the emphasis in the second 14th verse tells us, the second phrase, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why would you leave the perfection uh, and come to earth in flesh? To dwell, other translations would say to tabernacle, which means a short period of time. In other words, He came to this earth for a short while. Why? For us. To dwell among us. Phrase 3. And the Word was God. You see, He wasn't just with God the Father in heaven, but He was God the Son manifested upon this earth in flesh to dwell among us. And let's skip down and read the last phrase in verse 14. And notice what they saw. They beheld His glory, the, only, uh, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now notice this phrase. Full of grace and truth. Human. Humans had never seen the fullness of God as we now see since Jesus has been on this earth. We've never seen the fullness of grace. We've never seen the fullness of truth. In other words, you and I now can ask a question and answer this question much better than, let's say, Abraham or Moses. You see, we could ask a question and say, what do you think if God was on earth and someone mistreated Him, what do you think He would do? We know because God did come to earth. 
What do you think God would do in, in His mission in life if He were on this earth? We know what His mission was. How focused do you think God would be if He was on this earth? We know God was on this earth. And so we look at the fullness of God in the flesh on this earth, and we see the fullness is grace and the fullness is truth. So now we should have a much better understanding of grace and of truth than any of the generations before Jesus came to this earth. Now, as we think about Jesus being God and man, let's think for just a few moments of some very basic things about Him coming to this earth. Let's back up to Luke, the first chapter, and make a point very quickly out of verse 34. When He came to this earth in flesh, it was to be born. But that birth was very different. Even though He had, in a sense, we would say, a natural mother, He did not have a human father. And so in verse 34, when Mary learned of this from the angel, He says, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man. So his arrival on this earth was no doubt impacted by deity. In other words, individuals that are humans cannot get together and bring forth a child on this earth the way God did. So his presence on this earth came through the channels, if you will, of deity. Showing us by the birth of a woman, he's man showing us that He was not conceived by a man, showing us that He's deity. But now, how did He grow? In Luke, the second chapter, let's look at verse 52. This is a passage that all of our youth ought to have in their mind, and not only in their mind, but it ought to be a commitment that they've made in their lives. But that would not be fair to the passage if we left it there. These are four areas that all of us should be concerned about in our life. In Luke 2 and 52, it tells about the growth of Jesus Christ while He was on this earth, moving from a young man into maturity. And He says, And Jesus increased in wisdom, that's intellect or knowledge, and in stature, of course, that's physically, and in favor with God, that's spiritually, and with men, that's social. You know, when you think about New Year's resolutions, you think, I don't really know what I should work on this year. This is a great exercise right here, Luke 2 and 52. Let's not wait for a new year. Let's every week of our life say, you know, I want to learn something this week. I want to learn something that will make me a better person, that will make me a better employer, that will make me a better Bible student. I want to learn something this week. I want knowledge. Friends, if we ever stop learning, in a sense, we've already died. Now, secondly here, notice physically. This is the temple of God. We need to take care of our bodies because the truth is, you and I can do much more in service to God if we maintain our health than if we lose it. And oftentimes we can't control uh, loss of health. But you know, sometimes we can. Sometimes we directly affect our health. And we ought to make a commitment that the effect that we have upon our health is going to be a positive one because we want to live to serve God. But now notice in that third area, spiritually. What is it that we're going to do this week to make sure that we're growing spiritually? 
What kind of peers will I have around me to build me up spiritually? Where will I be when it comes time for Bible class and when it comes time in the day to, for my daily reading and my meditation and my prayer life? Will I be there or will I be absent from those times that could have built me up spiritually? When we read through Psalms, we see that the psalmist gave much time and attention to his personal spiritual life. You can be honest because you don't have to answer out loud. When's the last time you meditated in a serious talk to yourself about where you are spiritually? You can say, I, that's been a long time. I don't remember that. Something's wrong. We can't grow spiritually if we never stop to evaluate where we are and how we're going to make that, that next step, that next area of growth in our life. And then finally notice in this passage here, we see socially. Have you heard individuals say, well, I really don't care what others think? Jesus did. He grew in favor with others. Have you ever heard individuals, and, and especially young men, uh, and I'm talking about young adult men, not just uh, teenage men. Have you ever heard uh, men say, well, I'd never go to somebody's wedding. That's boring. We read of Jesus as a young man going to a wedding. Why? Because he was a man that grew in favor with men and other social. You know, there's a lot of things that we do where we say, you know, I just don't have that many friends. And some of us, it would have to be because we haven't shown ourselves as a friend. We've made no effort to grow. Now, keep in mind... How do we describe the life of Jesus? And the Scripture say, says He grew in these areas. In other words, we're painting a picture of something that He continually grows in these areas. And so as we think about what is it I'm going to do this week, think about these four areas and think about what we can do to not just do the same, to do what we've always done. What is it that we can do to grow in these areas? Now let's think, about Jesus as a teacher for just a moment. And, and let's start with him of gaining people's attention and respect through the miracles to emphasize that he had power, and therefore they ought to listen to him. Let's go to Matthew, the, uh, the 11th chapter. And Matthew, the 11th chapter, just pretty much from this passage, we're just going to note, for time's sake, we're just going to note the things that as John had concerns of being in jail and, and why perhaps he was being held in jail if Jesus was really so powerful. Is he really the, the Jesus? Or are we waiting on another one? And that's a whole lesson within itself. But it shows us that at any time in our life, we can start to ask questions. And when we do have those questions, we at least know where to go. Let's always go to Jesus. You know, some have read this passage and says, well, you know, I'm kind of disappointed in John for even asking that question. Well, I'd be a lot more disappointed in John if he had that question and went somewhere else for the answer. At least when he had the question, he went to Jesus for the answer. And it's not so bad to have questions for Jesus. The problem is when we have questions relating to spiritual things, then we go somewhere else for the answer. So let's notice this. Uh, Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 2, And when John had heard, in, uh, had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and says to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Now just notice these. And you know, we can read these off in a list form. 
But as we read these, I want you to think about each one of these, how powerful it was for individuals to stand around that knew these individuals for a long time, and Jesus healed them. Think of the power that was for them to stand around and see this. And so he says, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed he is he who is not offended because of me. What a powerful man. But no wonder he had such power. He wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He is and was the Son of God, and then on earth in flesh and blood. And what did he teach, and how did he gain people's attention? Let's go back to Matthew, the seventh chapter. At the very end of Matthew, the seventh chapter, and most of you will know that this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it has so much depth, but yet it's presented so simple, and yet it also covers such a wide array of our life. It really is an amazing, amazing sermon. And really, that's how it's concluded, with a description of the effect that it had upon the other people. That ought to make me stop and think for just a moment. When I read through, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, do I ever sit in awe of the Scriptures? The words of Jesus? Here's what these people did. We're in verse 28 and 29, Matthew 7. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, and the people were astonished at His teaching. For He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. They were astonished at His teachings, but also how they were presented. They were presented with authority. And what authority does Jesus have in our life? And how hungry are we for His message? That when we read it, we're astonished. I want to mention something to you that I heard someone mention uh, many years ago, and, and I, I guess I almost think about it every week, because when I see an article, whether it be a bulletin article or in a magazine, whatever, uh, pertaining to religious things, he said, you know, I used to catch myself when I would read religious publications or articles, that when it came in the article to a passage of Scripture... I'd either skip it or scan it and then go on to see what the man said. And he said, I said to myself, what does that say about me? What I'm more concerned what the man says than what God says. These devotional books and these articles and, and uh, writings that are written to exhort and to encourage us, so much good can come out of those. But something is wrong when I would rather on a regular and total basis read what people say about the Bible than read the Bible itself. And I emphasize again, there are some great articles and publications out there that are a tremendous help. But I've acquired the wrong taste if my idea of Bible study is to always read what someone else says about the Bible. These people heard Scripture. Now, at that time, it wasn't written down. But that is what is now written down. They heard Scripture, and they sat there astonished. 
Who is this Christ? If I really believe that He is who He is, I'm going to be astonished at His Scriptures. Now let's close tonight with Luke, the 23rd chapter. We've looked at who Jesus is, being in flesh, but also being God. We've looked at how He came upon this earth through uh, a virgin, but then how He grew in form. We looked at the power of His miracles, and we've looked at how His teachings are so important. But you know what? No Jesus. Crosses on buildings, we see them on jewelry, we see them on books, we see them in print. The cross is a symbol that immediately is connected in individuals' minds with Jesus Christ. Let's think about Jesus before we close tonight as He was on the cross. He hung between two thieves. And those thieves had a discussion with each other and with Jesus. One was very right. In other words, is this Christ, it seemed that one honestly, sincerely knew who the Christ was. And one didn't. And this symbolism here, if you will, as we extend the invitation... I want you to realize that in that way, all of us identified by one of these individuals on the cross. So which one is most like me? Here's the short story as we read in Luke, the 23rd chapter, beginning at verse 39 through 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, What? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's me. I'm guilty of sin too. Recognized an awesome respect for Jesus Christ. As one blasphemed, this other one said, Don't you have regard? Whenever he showed blasphemy or disrespect to Jesus Christ, he was disrespecting God. Friends, to go back. To the previous point, I can honestly tell you, many times I've said in awe of this passage. One of these days, we're going to do a whole sermon just on these verses right here. And we're going to talk about what the thief on the cross knew that many never knew. He had an awesome respect. seemed like nobody else on the earth in that time could get that point. Oh, I know a few did, but the majority just couldn't understand that. They couldn't comprehend it. They rejected it. But here's this thief on the cross that says, I understand it. Why would you blaspheme him? Now, notice the second thing. He said, this man's perfect. 
He's not done anything wrong. He called him Lord. He didn't look over and say Master, which is the way they would refer to a teacher. He didn't look over and say teacher. He didn't look over and prophet. He didn't look over and say good man that doesn't deserve to be here. He looked over at Jesus and said, Lord. And then in that same request, he spoke of a kingdom. He knew that the Lord was going to establish a kingdom. And then in that we see the fifth thing, he knew that Jesus was the one that could save him. It's amazing. The only who do you say the Christ is? Who does your life say that he is? Can you honestly address him as Lord? If you're sincere in that of calling him Lord, that means you're his servant, he's your master. And we are subjected to Him. The cross on each side is symbolism of us. That recognized He wanted Jesus to be His Lord. In Christ's covenant, we know how we can make that come true. As a believer that He is the Son of God and being willing to repent, turn to God, confess before man, and be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. If you've not done that tonight, as you think about that question, who is the Christ? Will you answer it by your actions? I believe that He is my Lord. Maybe somewhere in the past you've answered that question in that way, but yet lately your life hasn't reflected that He is your Lord. Remember, we have to come back to God on His terms. And His terms are repentance and confessing our faults one to another and praying forgiveness.